Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Driving to the Basket. My name is Mike. I am here with Tommy. We're recording for the first time in a couple of weeks. So, uh, it comes as no surprise to anybody. Uh, and as we all know, the Pistons are now an absolutely terrible basketball team, uh, which is, uh, in the opinion of myself, and I know my co-host as well here, a very good thing. We're firmly at the end of, or for now at least, at the end of let's compete uh, for the best possible position we can with the highly mediocre roster we've got. So Drummond is gone. Reggie Jackson is bought out. Markeith Morris is bought out. What we have left is a team that's not really capable of winning games. And for the sake of the organization's future, that is the best possible thing. The Pistons could easily tank their way into the second best draft odds. Uh, honestly, I think it's unlikely that uh, with uh, around 20 games left, they will uh, make up seven losses on the Golden State Warriors. But if you get into the top four, you have uh, equal odds at the first overall pick. The top four teams all have equal odds. So that's what there is to look forward to. In the meantime, this is incredibly ugly basketball uh, for everybody. I mean, Christian Wood is fun to watch. Uh, aside from that, it's uh, it's pretty ugly. And that just is what it is. And uh, it comes with the territory. In some ways, it was enjoyable to watch the Pistons and know that they had some chance of winning. But, uh, you know, honestly, it's worth giving that up for a time, even if it's for, for a couple seasons for the sake of um, for the sake of a better team. Like, uh, Tommy, I remember you and I having a conversation earlier on, early on in the season, maybe before the season, where you were you were all about, well, I just want the team to lose. I want change. And uh, I was all about this season for the first time. Uh, you know, for the first time since really beginning to watch the Pistons again about uh, about five and a half years ago, where I just said, you know, whatever, I'm just going to live in the moment and try to enjoy this. That turned out to be kind of ironic <laughs> looking back. Yeah. Um, this is kind of turned into the ideal season for you. Yeah, no, I'm happy. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm relieved as well. Uh, I, I thought this team had possibly a second round potential looking back, even if the team had not been injured. I think this was just a very, very poorly fitting roster. Uh, you might've been able to just talent your way into a competitive first round loss, uh, if you had everybody healthy, but I think that's about as far as the team could go. Uh, but we'll get to that. Uh, so I just, just for my part, wanted to talk a little bit about Drummond. So it's over with Drummond. He's gone. He's not coming back anytime soon, hopefully ever, for my part. Hopefully never coming back. I don't see why he would. Uh, maybe in the twilight of his career, but whatever. For all intents and purposes, gone. Uh, and I think it, in addition to just it being time, because this roster wasn't working, uh, I honestly think that Drummond was miscast in the eyes of many fans. I think that a sort of mystique was built around him uh, over the course of maybe three or four seasons, like, uh, or even maybe from when he was drafted that gave him a quality yeah, in the eyes of the fans that just wasn't genuine. It's what it boils down to. And, and I think, you know, you can call this opinion. I think that all the evidence points to this being the case is that Drummond was not a great basketball player with the Pistons. Uh, if you look at his whole time at the organization, it would be, I think difficult to even argue that he was a particularly good basketball player with the Pistons. So uh, if you look at 
And this is also for those uh, I've seen it said, I've seen it said by quite a few people that the, uh, the Pistons failed Drummond. They didn't put the proper players around him. He didn't have the guys next to him that he needed. Uh, I think that sentiment kind of rings false for for a variety of reasons, but we'll go into this. So Drummond at the draft, everybody talked about how much potential he had, but when he really, uh, started to come on the scene as far as the team's future was when Stan Van Gundy came in and Van Gundy decided Drummond's our guy. We're going to build around him. Probably reminiscent with what he tried to do with Dwight Howard in Orlando. Unfortunately for Pistons fans, Drummond never even sniffed uh, prime Dwight Howard. And also the the NBA meta, just what, what you need to be able to do in the NBA shifted and Drummond just didn't have the proper skill set. So you can look at it both from just a general and a personal viewpoint. Generally speaking, the guys you need to build your team around these days are scorers, either an elite point guard or these guys on the wing who can play up and down the lineup who are elite at creating offense. Ideally, they're pretty good on the defensive end as well, but that's secondary these days. You cannot build around a traditional center. Traditional centers are dying because they're not good on offense. They can't stretch the floor. And having a shooter at the five is very, 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 very helpful. So immediately you have guys who have who cannot stretch the floor and they have very limited agency even down low when they have the ball. They're not good at creating offense. So you just you can't build around those guys anymore. Uh, they're a dying breed because they're so limited. Uh, Rudy Gobert is the best traditional center in the league, bar none. Uh, he is out there to rebound, to play defense, and to dunk the ball. And that's what he does. That's his role. The, the Jazz by no means... Uh, by no means are they building around him. He's, he's the best traditional center in the league. Drummond doesn't even sniff him. He's, he's a game-changing defender. But even then, he can get chased off the floor uh, in the playoffs because if you put a stretch five on him, uh, then he has to go out to the perimeter, and then suddenly he can't really defend the banquet as well anymore. And uh, he's not making up for that on offense. In fact, any traditional center on the floor is going to take away from your offense by default. So you just you can't build around a guy like that. Stan Van Gundy was very wrong to think that he could. He wasn't really. Uh, he, he just failed to predict or even see the direction in which the NBA was going. And then you come down to Drummond himself. Uh, <clears throat> so if we look at what Drummond's strengths were, uh, like when you hear people say, oh, you know, physical beast, dominant rebounder, and so on and so forth. So what could Drummond do well? He was a very, he was and remains a very good rebounder. You know, statistically speaking, the best rebounder of his generation. I'm given that, absolutely. He is highly athletic. That's true. Uh, very physically strong. He developed into a pretty good defender. Uh, I say developed into because that wasn't the case until maybe a couple seasons ago. And he's developed into a genuinely good rim protector. <clears throat> so absolutely give him those things. Unfortunately, oh, and he's good at setting picks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a useful skill. Unfortunately, that's where it ends. I mean, those are his strengths. And then you look at his weaknesses and the list gets a lot longer. Even if we just look at as compared to his strengths, rebounding valuable, but not that important. Uh, it, it's very useful, but it's not, uh, you know, it, it's not a super, super important skill, like playing great defense or playing great offense in particular, much less important than those two things. Uh, and then you look at, sure. Great offensive rebounder, guy who waste, who would generally refuse to kick the ball out, perennially ranked in the bottom ranks in terms of efficiency on putbacks because he took a lot of terrible putbacks. Uh, as a defense, defensive uh, rebounding, uh, if you look at his entire tenure, uh, just taken together, the Pistons were about as good a defensive team, a defensive rebounding team with him off the floor is on 
Uh, teams just will rebound by committee. It's often better that way, in fact, because if a guard or a forward grabs the ball, they can get out there and transition. Whereas Drummond would just gather the ball, come down with it, and then the transition opportunity is gone. The Pistons were not a good transition team with, with Drummond. And uh, he, he took a lot of gimmies. He took a lot of rebounds that his teammates could have gotten. Uh, so the value of the rebounding just isn't really all that isn't really all that great there. And his defense, though he did get better, he is not switchable. Uh, he could do a decent job of defending on the drive against uh, the slower forwards in the league. But you put a guard on him, he's going to get blown past. So, and he's just not an elite defender. Uh, setting picks, great. There are a lot of guys who can set picks. And athletic, I mean, the league is getting progressively more athletic. And and, uh, <clears throat> uh, and Drummond never really fully used that that huge body of his. He didn't play phys- as physically as he could have. But so th- there's where your negatives stand in, um, in uh, you know, in comparison to his, uh, with relation to his strengths. But you can go further than that. He's a bad offensive player, like legitimately just bad. Uh, like I said, it's it's very, very nice to have a guy who can stretch the floor. Drummond can't do that. He has very little agency as far as creating offense. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, if you're a tr- traditional big on the floor, and again, you don't have that agency, you can't stretch the floor, you got to be able to be good. At, you got to be highly efficient. You got to be good at scoring in the paint. And you should be efficient because you're taking almost all your shots from the highest percentage area of the floor. And every other prominent traditional big, and again, they're, they're a shrinking class of players because they're just they're outdated now. Every other traditional big in the league who's highly paid and sees high, high usage with only the exception of one player, who is Tristan Thompson, uh, Drummond's new teammate, who is just not a very good player and is extremely overpaid. Every other traditional big does at least fairly well scoring in the paint. Uh, you look at the traditional bigs <clears throat> this season, uh, the aforementioned Rudy Gobert, 69% true shooting. Uh, Whiteside, 63.5%. Nerlens Noel is at 71%. Mitchell Robinson, 72%. Uh, Steven Adams, 60%. That's not great, but it's okay. Uh, Rashawn Holmes, 69%. Clint Compella, 62.5%. Jared Allen, 66 JL McGee, 65.5%. So on and so forth. And then you look at Drummond, who's at 54%, or 54.5%. And his career high uh, in the starting lineup, or at least past his sophomore year, uh, is 55.5%. That's really bad. The guy is uh, has very little touch as a scorer. He's bad at finishing in the paint. He's bad at finishing through contact. Uh, and <clears throat> his shot selection sucks. That's an entirely different matter. So the guy is just a bad scorer. He's just he's, he's So in addition to not be to taking away from your ability to, to space the floor and to cause problems for opposing defenses, he's just bad when he gets the ball. And... <clears throat> That's a pretty big weakness. So you have uh, you have a guy who, again, we say great rebounder, good defender, but not great, and bad scorer. So uh, that's what he's bringing to the floor for you. I mean, obviously, like I said, this isn't a player you can build around regardless just because of the skill set. But Drummond just didn't really bring, bring a great deal in general. You go down to his problems with attitude as well. Uh, basically, like people... Uh, it's much has been uh, said of the fact, uh, much has been made rather of the fact that Stan Van Gundy once said, oh, Andre never complained about touches. Like as if, oh, Andre was fine. You know, if he wasn't getting all these touches, nothing was going to go wrong. Uh, that's kind of like saying, uh, I don't know, let's say people who who uh, compete in uh, 
food eating contests, never complain about being hungry because Drummond got treated like royalty by Stan Van Gundy, who always found him touches. And often those were the uh, post offense variety of which Drummond was horrible. Like it's hard to get across how horrible he was under Stan Van Gundy as a post player. Uh, this statistic gets it. Uh, that Drummond's efficiency as a scorer from the post was worse than his efficiency as a free throw shooter when he was the worst free throw shooter in the history of the NBA. Uh, Van Gundy would always find those for him. When he finally took him out of the post to start the 17-18 season, uh, he made him the center of the offense, like playmaking and handoffs and whatnot. And then when Griffin came back, excuse me, when Griffin was traded forward, Van Gundy put Drummond in the post again. Reality is what happened when Drummond didn't get his touches is he started forcing offense. Uh, in the post, uh, in his face-up game, uh, those awful isolations he liked to take that rarely, rarely, very, very rarely ever did anything. And uh, Dwayne Casey openly ragged on him a couple of, you know, probably about a week before the trade, saying, uh, we want him to be passing out of the post all the time. We don't want him to be attempting post offense. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, those are, you know, I could go further as far as, uh, as, far as Drummond's flaws as a player. You know, his, his penchant for checking out and whatnot when he didn't get the role or the, he wanted or when things weren't going well. But, uh, you know, it, it's over. He's gone. I don't need to go any further. I think it just it just bears saying that uh, as far as an evaluation of his time in Detroit and him being this, this good, great player or whatever, that, that he really wasn't. He only had two good seasons with Detroit. I mean, maybe two and a half if you count this one, which I, I don't think you really should. Uh, that season before he got the max deal, uh Horrible efficiency, bad defense. The next year, his all-NBA season, horrific efficiency, bad defense. He benefited from an incredibly weak field of centers. Uh, like the top five were him, DeMarcus Cousins, who was good. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, who was good. Uh, and then the other two, the, the other top two were Dwight, the, you know, the, the, the fast declining shell of Dwight Howard and Hassan Whiteside. So uh, super overrated all-NBA season. And that helped him become an all-star as well, the weak center field. Uh, the next season, he completely mailed it in. Awful efficiency, bad defense. He regressed in every way, and it wasn't. Until, he really only had two good seasons with the with the Pistons, and they weren't great seasons. And only for only one season in Detroit was he the, uh, you know, after all those awful teams. So from like from 2015 onward, for only one of those uh, one of those four seasons, was he the best player on the team? And that was in 2017, 2018. That's when Jackson got injured, and uh, and Griffin came in later. And further, I mean, if you really want to get into, uh, you know, another issue, another problem with him, and uh, this will segue us into the next topic, that this was kind of like the, uh, you know, pretty far down the list of, of his uh, his deficiencies, but also a big problem uh, or an issue in today's NBA is that you can only play one position. Uh, you can only play center. It's a position lock there and in an increasingly positionless league that values uh, over, you know, above all else your elite point guards and your wings who can play between uh, between shooting guard and center. And you even see some guys like Robert Covington, for example, like this is another reason why like teams will sacrifice everything, including rebounding for scoring. Like you look at the Rockets who have Covington playing a little bit of center, I believe, and, and PJ Tucker playing center teams will happily go bite-sized if it gets them, uh, if it gets them better offense. And these are guys who can play up and down the lineup. So I know I've been monologuing here for a while, probably longer than I'd planned. <laughs> so sorry, Tommy, but um, yeah. So no, I think that gets us point. into what the team needs to do differently. I mean, the Pistons are rebuilding. Hopefully, it will continue past uh, or through next season. 
uh, this team had, if you're talking about those elite point guards and uh, those elite wings, the Pistons have not had uh, a single one since the end of the going to work era. They threw a, a tragically bad decision by, by the former regime, ended up with not one, but two players who, uh, who could only play one position and were not switchable on defense, uh, that being Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. So the question becomes here, oh, you know, you just look at what things, what can be done differently. <clears throat> so uh, I will start just by saying <clears throat> the Pistons have a decent foundation. Uh, if Seku Demboya pans out, he's a guy, uh, I think in terms of, uh, in terms of how he moves can be most closely compared to, you know, wishful thinking to Pascal Siakam who uh, is a guy, I mean, he's, he's playing power forward and Seku probably played power forward, but you can at least play defense. He's, he's, he's mobile. He's, he's a mod, what you call a modern power forward, uh, to his basically, you know, what, uh, you know, basically forward is forward these days for the most part. I don't think you really think too much about power forward or small forward, but he's not an anachronistic power forward like Blake Griffin, who really should be playing center now, but can't because he, he's just such a bad defender in the paint. Uh, so you've got that. Uh, I'm not sure of Christian Wood's future with uh, with the team, but he's he's certainly a guy who uh, who's who's fit to play center in the modern NBA who can stretch the four. Uh, you know, though he's certainly got work as a defender, had really growth to growth to make as a defender. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Tommy, why don't I let you weigh in in here? I'm starting to feel bad. I've been talking for a while. <laughs> no, no, no. So, you're good, man. Like it's important to talk about uh, <laughs> the the problem with Drummond was that, like you said, he was position locked, and the same thing with Blake. Drummond could only play center, and he could only defend like slower centers. He couldn't even if you if somebody was to pull him out onto the perimeter, if they had any semblance of like agility, like they could sidestep him he just couldn't keep up and that's why it's good that he's been moved off the team because the nba is changing and i don't think people realize how quickly it's changing because the traditional power forward like the blake griffin guy the old blake griffin the guys who you know they were they weren't quite big enough to be a traditional center but they didn't have much of a jump shot they're gone and that's why people commend blake griffin for adding that three-point shot because he was kind of playing for his life there uh, in the NBA because if he didn't have that three-point shot, he was going to be just backing down guys, and it would have been good because he can st- he can still draw the double team, but you don't, you're not going to see a whole lot of like the old Blake Griffin, the guy who couldn't shoot that three ball because even centers now are pretty much expected to be able to shoot. You don't have to necessarily shoot a three, but you need to be able to pull – the opposing center away from the paint so that other guys can drive inside. And that's something that Drummond couldn't do because even in those years where he was uh, facilitating the handoffs and he was doing the pocket passes from, you know, like the, the top of the paint, his defender would still sag off of him. And Drummond was nowhere near the three point line. Or if he was, he was like, he was still well inside of it. Modern centers have to be able to shoot a. They need to be able to pull defenders away. So guys like DeAndre Ayton, I don't know how well he's shooting on threes, but you know that he can move well. He moves relatively well, which is very important for centers now because you have to be able to switch onto guys. 
and he can shoot jumpers. It's nothing super far away from the basket. It's nothing fancy. It's not uh, a very quick jump shot, but it works. And because of that, he he can still make it as a center in the NBA. Drummond has been trying to add a three-point shot. He just doesn't have the touch. He doesn't have – he didn't have touch around like six feet. So the idea of him shooting threes, it's, it's him f- trying to adapt, and it's commendable that he – put in that work but it's it hasn't become a a legitimate option no not so, even close <laughs> no, yeah it's, 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 it, it's it, yeah it's ugly yeah it's good for the other team if he takes a three because for the most part that's that's a wasted possession well it's so, not just that it's also that if, if he's spotting up the three-point line his, his primary skill is rebounding you know yeah. his primary thing on offense is uh you know, one of his, his, his most vital skill is a great rebounder. So if you send him out to the three point line, he can't rebound anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So what the Pistons need to do is not try to build around centers for one thing. Yeah, uh, never. We've talked about this before. <laughs> Center is probably the least valuable position in the NBA now. I mean, it's, I'd say certainly. The, yeah. The moneymakers are the guys who like the, the good wings and guys who were like Jason Tatum. And then like, Point guards or really good wings and guards, guys who can mm-hmm. defend up and down uh, the lineup and create offense for others and ideally drive inside. And if we're, if we're just making a wish list, they should be able to defend as well. I mean, those are like the main skills, and those are the guys who you can put on a team, and those are the guys who can legitimately contend. Mm-hmm. If you're lacking in more than maybe two of those areas, you're not a complete uh, player, and it's very it's it's that much harder to build a contender with that piece. Uh, so, like the Bucks, their identity is a bunch of guys who can space the floor, and they work with Giannis even when he couldn't shoot. He can shoot the three ball better now, but before uh, they worked because everybody around him could shoot the three. You mentioned Tristan Thompson. In LeBron's last year in Cleveland, Tristan Thompson was moved from the starting lineup to the bench in favor of Kevin Love at the five. Mm-hmm. And the idea there was Kevin can space the floor. LeBron's not the best shooter, so it opens up the paint for him, and LeBron was supposed to be able to drive inside. They traded off Tristan's skill set for Kevin Love's, even though Kevin was really terrible more of a power forward. Well, he's a terrible defender, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that Love is he's in that unpleasant spot where, you know, you got to be quick at power forward now, and he's not quick. He's not mm-hmm. quick enough. So he can either yeah. suck as a defender on the perimeter, or he can suck as a defender inside. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, it's uh, no, I, I completely agree. It's these guys um, for the for the modern NBA offense. You're always going to the elite point guards of the league are always going to uh, have a place, but. It's these wings who can who can play up and down the lineup, who can score off the drive, uh, and shoots, and just uh, they're just very good at creating offense in general. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the Pistons have had none of these guys of, of, of either of those archetypes. And as far as yeah, you can't really build around a center at all. I mean, the, the Warriors proved it once and for all that you can just neglect the position and have a couple of guys on minimum contracts who can rebound, dunk, and play decent defense and you can you can win championships of course maybe the warriors aren't the greatest example but the heat did that too mm-hmm. uh chris bosh played a fair amount of center 
but beyond that, it was just minimum guys, like Chris Anderson and Joel Anthony. <laughs> so, I mean, not only can you neglect center, you can't win by building around a center, maybe with one example, and that's Nikola Jokic. He, who is just uh, an incredible offensive player and, and just uh, very, very difficult to deal with. I mean, he's just a dynamo in every way of offense besides attacking off the dribble, but he doesn't need to. Uh, he's just, he's exceptionally difficult to deal with. Even then he needs a, a guy at point guard out the way next to him. Who's an elite player, but beyond Jokic, a center cannot be your best player on your team. If you want to win, uh, you just can't. I mean, it's uh, guys at center. They're inherently not versatile. Uh, they're going to be they're just generally just because of size, not going to be the greatest attacking off the dribble. You want the guys who are quick, who can beat the defender off the dribble. And if they draw another defender, they kick it out for an open three. Uh, whatever the case, I mean, that's just another reason why trying to build around Drummond, even if Van Gundy had not just, uh, uh, he who shall not be named, just even saying his name makes me feel a little bit annoyed. Why the idea of building around a center, even even if he hadn't been completely wrong about Drummond's capabilities, which he was, why it would have been just impossible. So, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that that's what you really have to do looking good, to have to look for going forward. I think uh, whether it's in this draft or, or in free agency, you've got to look for those guys. Uh, I mean, if you want an elite point guard, the Pistons, I think you and I can agree absolutely you're going to have to draft him, period. Yeah. No no elite point guard is going to come and sign with the Pistons. They're not exactly uh, – not right now, and they're not exactly a uh, – a, uh, a free agent destination. Com- well, it's not, they're just not a common commodity. I mean, the number of elite oh. point guards in the league is, is fairly small. Mm-hmm. But uh, and this is why rebuilding can take a while because the Pistons are going to have to find at least those few key players. Maybe they have Seku already. Maybe he's he's one of those key players. Uh, but you need to have a star uh, at, at one of those positions at the guard or at the, the point guard or on the wing, and then you need to have at least uh, one other guy who's at least very very good, uh, if not a star in his own right. And you can say, oh, what about Blake Griffin? He'll be here the next two years. Well, ideally, next year will be a wash. Uh, or, or ideally, ideally, he'll be moved for it. Dude, I'd move Blake for a second round pick in a second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like a second. Because he just serves no purpose to this team anymore. And uh, and over the Pistons will lose this year. He might help them win games that they don't want to win. But also, he's an inherently usage eating player. There's no other way he can play. Yeah. And uh, I think you can find better mentors. <clears throat> so, at a cheaper cost. At a much cheaper cost. Absolutely. Like, uh, you don't want to pay for a $35 million mentor who needs to play with the ball in his hands. Yeah. Which is absolutely the case with Blake. Uh, sure, he's improved as a three-point shooter, but uh, he's not a good, actually not a good spot of three-point shooter. He shot much better off pull-ups last year, and also it's just not the way he plays. So, uh, you know, talking about this, you start to think that, <laughs> you know, how are they going to pull off this rebuild? Even if, you know, if it's only like one season long, and that's when you hope that uh, that the front office is willing to throw another season as well. And uh, and I find myself doubting that Tom Gores will accept the Pistons waiting past uh, 2021. Because it's it's just tough to find those, you know, it's it's tough to, to, to find those players that you need to, to, to really build the framework to become a competitor. Like, which teams have you seen? <clears throat> put it this way. Like, look at Atlanta, for example. Like, what are your thoughts on Atlanta? Like, where this team can go with their current core? You know, once they grow up. 
Yeah, I mean, Atlanta's kind of been my dream situation. Uh, I say dream, but like they found an absolute gem in Trey Young. I mean, yeah, he's probably the worst defender in the league, but offensively, he's just so so nice. talented. It's fantastic. And, yeah, yeah. He, he's just so fun to watch, and that's kind of what the Pistons need to do. They need to find a guy like that in the draft. And Trey Young's there's not going to be a Trey Young in every draft or even most drafts, but. They need to find a guy, and they need to do what Atlanta did. See, Atlanta, they didn't waste time. They they were a 60-win team, like not even five five or six years ago. Uh, they were Something a 60-win like team in 2014-2015. Uh, I think in 2016, they were also a very good team in the regular season. Right, and they realized, you know, it was over. They had peaked, and they didn't waste yeah. time. They promptly tore it down. They didn't let the fan base, you know, get bored and walk away. Uh, they were smart enough to do it right they got trey young they i mean they could have had luca i think i'm pretty sure he was actually drafted by the hawks and then traded to the mavs yeah that's right the mavs traded uh traded him they traded a 2019 first and their 2018 first for trey for excuse me for luca right and that that other pick ended up yeah it became cam reddish yeah cam was actually he's been improving (laughs) He's been improving. I mean, yep. yeah, maybe that was, I mean, that probably still wasn't the best trade, but uh, it certainly wasn't a bad trade for the Hawks. You know, Trey Young, excellent player, and that's going to be a fun matchup for years to come. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I, I like about the Hawks is that they didn't try to rebuild quickly. They are seeing this thing through properly. And even with this Clint Capella trade, I, I'm not the biggest fan of that. Uh, it kind of put John Collins. Uh, on the perimeter, I think he wants to be the rim runner. And I think he, if he put on some more weight, he'd probably make a better modern center. But whatever. point is, Atlanta, they saw what needed to be done, and they did it. And it's worked out well for them. They, the, the fan base needs to be patient, and the front office needs to be patient. Because you can't build this overnight. And if the Pistons do try to cut this thing short, I mean, I know Fred... Fred Van Vliet is like the guy that people say are gonna is gonna get the big offer from the Pistons and, and swipe him from Toronto and I hope not. That would yeah, that would be that'd, that'd be, be like worst case scenario for me. Uh, I understand why people like him, and that's another thing that you know that I think the fans need to kind of temper their expectations because people want us to build the team on defense because. You know, the, the 90s team, the bad boys, great defensive team, the 04 team, they they won on defense. They won on low scores and just grinding away. You can't really do that anymore. The, the whole – the rules have changed so that offense is prioritized. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a reason – it's the reason that Trey Young is kind of – nobody really minds that he's a terrible offense or defensive player because defense doesn't matter as much. So I – the fans need to kind of realize that those traditions, if you try to stick to them just for the sake of tradition, you're, you're putting, you're making it that much harder to build this team uh, into a contender. Uh, I know people uh, don't want to tank because, you know, it, it's against the spirit of competition. And I, I get that. I respect that. But me personally, I, I just want us to win and, I'm fine with throwing away three or four seasons if it means getting it done the right way. Yeah. Uh, 
and having the right blueprint and bringing in guys that are that work they play well together because that's another thing people don't some people uh some of the teams haven't put together the right guys like i mentioned the bucks the reason they work despite Giannis being a fit dependent player is because they put the right teammates around him Mm -hmm. uh even drummond i mean obviously like you said you can't build a contender around him but there are players that fit better with him than others so my 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 point is just if i said it properly basically that um that he's a player you have to build around but he's nowhere near good enough to build around exactly yeah that's that's the issue with any traditional big like in utah for example like they they had to uh even a great coach like Quinn Snyder was going to have a trouble making it work with Ricky Rubio alongside Rudy Gobert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you but, can really uh, only have maybe one player that can't shoot. Yeah, I agree. I think in the modern NBA, and ideally, all five of your players can shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, the versatility of having five shooters, you have so many more options, and you're that much harder to defend. Yep, so, it's, it's almost it's almost necessary at this stage. Yeah, so you look at a team like the Sixers, who have so much talent from the process but the problem is the fit isn't there the fit isn't good they have ben simmons who just refuses to shoot and because of that uh brett brown has moved joel Embiid to the perimeter when really joel Embiid is he's really at his best in the paint and then the and then the real head scratcher was bringing in horford who he was a he was a great player in boston but his fit with Philly is just not good because Horford, he said he doesn't want to play center. He wants to play power forward. And, I mean, you, we've seen the results. He's not playing well. I think he's been moved to the bench. And it's, what, $100 million bench player? That's just not ideal. 125 you know? I believe. Something crazy like that. So yeah. the modern NBA, and when the front office assembles this new team, they have to pick guys who – their, their skills complement each other, and they can't have too many fit-dependent players. I think, you, like I said, just one fit-dependent player, and that's only if it's like a Giannis or a LeBron or like a guy that you think can be that player. Uh, there's LaMelo Ball. I'm not a fan of him because his shooting is pretty terrible with Illawarra. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was that, that's, wrong, but... that's just the modern NBA. Yeah, Horford actually 110 million, 97 guaranteed, but still awful. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, you need to have that proper fit. You need to have a team that can. Uh, you need to have your shooters on the floor. You need to have a team that can play a fast pace. You need to have a team that can play for the modern NBA. That that was another problem with with Griffin and Drummond. Pace was horrible, mm-hmm. like absolutely got awful. And you can look at efficiency, like offensive efficiency. But if you're uh, if you're scoring. I don't know, throw some arbitrary number out there, 110 points per 100 possessions, but you're playing so slowly that you're getting very few possessions, then you're scoring less points per game. Like the Pistons this season with Drummond on the floor, were I think 27th ranked in pace, and without him, uh, 7th. So, I mean, were they a better team? Uh, not really, because you, you say whatever you will about Drummond. Uh, his team doesn't have much talent, and I don't think he's a very, I don't think he's a very good player, but he still was one of the best players in the roster. But uh, but it's just another way you have to build for the modern NBA that the Pistons did not. Like, it's funny looking back, <clears throat> Van Gundy decided, I'm going to build around a traditional center. I'm going to build around a pick-and-roll duo that's going to play an incredibly slow brand of basketball. And people look back on that 15-16 team uh, nostalgically because it, you know, it was a time of hope. But that team 
played at a glacial pace and was incredibly inefficient. <laughs> and also bears mentioned for, you know, it's easy to look back and say, why did they, you know, not stick with that core? Well, everybody but Tobias Harris got much worse the next season. So, but you're right. You gotta, you gotta build a, a, the proper team for, uh, for today's NBA. And obviously your, your first step in doing that is to draft, right? And uh, it remains to be seen if uh, if this front office can do that properly, uh, like this, the upcoming draft. I mean, I'm personally think if you get the first overall pick, you just uh, you just take Anthony Edwards and ask questions later. Hmm. Uh, you know, and if 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 you don't get the first overall pick, let's say you're number three and James Wiseman is still on the board, and you know that the team below you wants him, you absolutely trade down because do not draft a center. Yeah, but. This rebuild is, you know, it's it's going to be unpleasant as far as watching basketball. You know, you might, if you really want to watch the NBA, consider finding another team you also like to watch. <clears throat> if, uh, if if really winning is is high on your uh, is high on your list, but it's an opportunity. Of course, much is made by people of oh, there's no guarantee a rebuild will succeed. Well, I can tell you what was guaranteed was that the way the Pistons were doing things was not going to work. The mm-hmm. team was built really stupidly. It didn't have the talent it needed, and it wasn't bad enough to get a high draft pick. And uh, yeah, one plus out of the season is that the Pistons finally just snagged the guy out of nowhere off the trash heap, and he's good, and that's Christian Wood. We have other teams that are doing this on a routine basis. That's another thing that a good front office needs to be able to do. Like one of the reasons that uh, the Heat and the Raptors are so good this year is that they both snagged guys who turned uh, undrafted guys uh, who turned out to be really good. Right, not really good, but quite good. So you got to hit in the draft. Uh, you've got to hit uh, on the periphery, and guys who weren't drafted. And you've got to be smart with your free agent signing. There's a lot goes into it. And now I know that a lot of fans think rebuild. Oh, the process, the 76ers. It's uh, saying, uh, do you really want to be tanking? Yeah, I, I know you would take like a three or four year tank. I, I don't know if I have the stomach for that personally, <laughs> but. Uh, you have people thinking, oh my goodness, we're going to spend the next three or four years. Uh, how long was it for the 76ers? It was like six. Like, they started in 2012. And they didn't really stop. I mean, their last high oh. pick was 2016. Uh, I thought it was 2013 or 2014 they started, but whatever the case. Uh, it's like that was, that was a unique thing. Saying, oh, geez, we're going to have to go through that. It's kind of like uh, looking at Mount Everest and saying, well, that's just like kind of a, a basic hike. You know, this, this is what a mountain hike looks like. I don't want to do it. I don't want to go on any hikes uh, because they're both the, they're both the most extreme example of their kind. The process will never happen again because of lottery reform. And also I know Tommy, you brought this up as a way I didn't think about it until recently uh, that the process wouldn't have been possible if the 76ers hadn't had the bizarre good slash bad fortune, depending on how you look at it, that their first overall picks kept getting injured like three times in a row. They had a first overall pick miss an entire season, their entire rookie season. So I definitely don't anticipate it being pleasant. And in a way, you know, as, as much as on paper, you would like to say trade Derek Rose, even though for, you know, even the most modest return you can get. It's nice, I think, to have some players that are enjoyable to watch. Rose is enjoyable to watch. Christian Wood, honestly, <clears throat> I, I think he's, he's most ideal is just a really high-end backup center. Like of uh, the Montreal Herald mode, you bring him on with a good point guard and they just completely hog usage and do really well. He plays maybe like high 20s per game. But the primary reason I want him back next season is because he's enjoyable to watch. 
he's not going to win. He's not going to be like, a, his, I think he's highly unlikely to develop into, uh, into a top 15 center, but it's fun to watch him. And, and you've got to have some kind of wins like that. You got to have some players who are fun to watch. And the unfortunate reality is that the Pistons young players just aren't that good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's part you, of the you, reason, like, yeah, that I think like a three to four year rebuild, I can, I think I'd be able to handle that because hopefully after this year, I mean, if we do hit in the draft, that's a player that's, you know, good and exciting. I mean, this whole season, uh, the activity levels on like the subreddit have been pretty stagnant. Like our biggest spike was when Seku had like an okay game. I mean, people were so excited. They just finally had something to get really excited about. And I think that's what people really want. I, I don't, I think once we have something like that, yeah, I mean, maybe he's not that good or maybe it takes him a couple of years to get good. I mean, it took Ingram, what, three years to get to this point? And then three years. Just, yeah, he made a yeah. lot of fixes in this last, uh, yeah. like he, he put in a lot of work in this last offseason. I guess shot looks yeah, completely absolutely. different. Yeah. And or not completely different, that, but it's not ugly as fuck anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Like, for me personally, I would rather watch these guys grow than watch mediocre basketball that I know isn't going anywhere. Oh, absolutely. Uh, 100% agree. Yeah. So uh, I, yeah. that's what I tell myself. Like, even watching these these fairly boring games, I mean, yeah, it's great to watch Christian Wood uh, surprise everyone, honestly. And that's great. But even as bad as it gets, like the, the Denver game yesterday was was pretty awful. Uh, it was just the most meh game ever, but you have to keep in mind, you know, it's it's so that we can get a higher draft pick. It's so that we can hopefully break out of this cycle of mediocrity, and that's what you have to just keep in mind. Yeah, I've, personally, uh... I've had a lot of fun watching, like looking at the uh, the prospects. They're not; it's mm-hmm. not the craziest draft class this year, but you know, supposedly twenty twenty one is a very good draft class. And then maybe 22 or 2023, 20, uh, maybe that's the year that it's like the double draft where the high school kids get to come back into the draft. You know, it's not the worst time to tank. It's just what would have been ideal is if we had started this this whole process like a year ago when Blake Griffin was playing well. Yeah, and Drummond maybe, still maybe had you could flip Drummond. Yeah, for, yeah. for I something mean, small. This, this, yeah. yeah, I mean this this season made it abundantly clear that Drummond had no value. Oh man, yeah. By the time you got to, I mean, everything aside, like with, um, like, there's something to be said for the fact that this guy, uh, nobody wanted him. That I, I still think, like I said in the last episode, I think the Pistons were bailed out at the last minute by Cleveland, more or less. If you have a guy who's this supposedly good, I mean, teams will actually want to trade for him. Teams will trade something better than than a second round pick that's going to be probably in like the fifties. Uh, three seasons down the line. And I don't think he had much, I don't think he had a great deal of value even a year ago, but he had some value. Yeah. And I think the fact that he had that little value wasn't all because of his, his contract. I think it's just that it's a combination of his contract and him just not really being that good. But I agree. Yeah. If you could trade Blake last summer, perfect. Of course, that was never going to happen because Tom Gores was too excited about the possibility of becoming a perennial playoff team. In my opinion, I mean, the Pistons are horrible in the way of attendance. It's awful. Like, uh, like, I think bottom five in the league. And he, 
seems to have had this impression that just being good enough to make the playoffs was going to bring the fans back. I think he also wants his team to succeed. And one good thing you can say about Tom Gore is the guy's willing to toss in. He's willing to write the checks. Like uh, for Tita, for the Rockets, completely insistent that this team, whose window is not like tremendously long, they're in their championship window right now, insists they be beneath the tax. Gores has come out and said, I want a team for which I can pay another luxury tax. And it's like, okay, well, that's good. That's absolutely, if the Pistons ever get to that point, that will be, uh, they'll absolutely be an asset. But if you want the fans to come, you have to have one of two things and ideally both. Number one, an actually successful product. You know, a team that's, that uh, is, uh, you know, ideally going to be good at least, good enough at least that you can say, okay, this team is, is sure going to be perennially in the playoffs because they can, uh, they, you know, you have a good degree of confidence they'll be in the second round at the very least. Uh, and uh, number two is exciting young players. And these things both manifest uh, the same quality, which is hope. You, you, you know, for people to get invested in this team, you have to have hope that things are actually going in the right direction, that, that you're going to, that you're going to invest yourself and the team's going to do well, or that you're going to invest yourself because you know that there's this crop of, uh, you know, of, of the X number of very good young players uh, who are going to be very good and are also just enjoyable to watch. So yeah, I completely agree with you. You have a team that uh, goes out there and wins, you know, you know, is probably going to win like 25 games but you've got these really good young players, uh, then people are going to watch and it's going to be enjoyable to watch uh, versus if you have this team that's uh, got not good players and a complete fucking mess of a roster, excuse the language, and uh, you've got Blake Griffin who isn't really fun to watch at all and this team is clearly not going anywhere, then they might win 40, 41 games as they did ultimately, but nobody wants to invest themselves in that team. I think people started to a little bit uh, in uh, the beginning of last season, because it's like, oh, you're 13 and 70, beat Golden State. Of course, you look, you know, you uh, you look a little deeper. You see that the Pistons had an incredibly easy schedule, and most of the teams they played, including Golden State, had key injured players. But they said, oh, we've got a star, and we're doing well. This things must be heading in the right direction. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, th- I mean, I think Blake did bring the fans back a little bit, but that was uh, that was just a quick fix. It was it was not the solution, and that's the problem. Oh, absolutely. And they jetted. They jetted the second. Blake Griffin said this after they went and got their and got completely blasted by the uh, by the by the Thunder in the next game, like uh, just destroyed. He said we get out. We we put all this work. I'm paraphrasing. We put all this work and getting the fans back, and now we have to do it all over again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I agree. Sorry for cutting you off. Like I, I agree. That's it's not the way you, you can't do it. You can't you can't build a team on saying we might be good enough every year. Just maybe. Yeah. Especially. Yeah, and that's. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, that's part of the reason why Atlanta's attendance hasn't suffered. I mean, they were a good team six years ago and they didn't waste a lot of time putting something exciting back on the floor. Once they realized they weren't going to be good. Oh, absolutely. They got clown for a year. I, I mean, when they, they were really tanking and it paid off. I mean, they made a good choice. They, they were, <laughs> they got a top pick and an excellent draft. Yep. Yeah, the, the the draft in which the Pistons had no pick because they decided to go even more win now, like to to a ludicrous degree, and and, and completely. It's, yeah, I mean, we've been all over that, but the Pistons. You know, another reason why it, it completely puzzled me that that Goris had that attitude of "I want to win now," uh, and 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 we can get back fans by just making the playoffs every year. 
is that the Pistons, this is an organization that has been terribly unsuccessful. I mean, the second least successful organization over the last, since 2008, uh, with the least, least uh, successful being the Kings, and they're, they're in a better spot than the Pistons right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and I think for them, it's also been having a terrible owner and bad general managers. Yeah. So, uh, basically, you've got a team <clears throat> whose fans were driven away by uh, these these grinding years of bad management and mediocrity and nothing to be excited about. And then suddenly you say, oh, we're going to get these fans back by being like sort of kind of good enough, maybe sort of depending on who you ask good enough. Uh, realistically, like making the playoffs in the seventh, eighth seed every year and losing in the first round is not good enough for anybody. That's what the Red Wings did for quite some time before everything crashed and burned. Uh, so... Uh, yeah uh and then so not only were the pistons bad for all those years but then they were bad in a different kind of way where it's like you're not quite as bad and part of it you know part of the reason the pistons never get back uh they never never really got back on their feet you know the dumars the way to dumars years because he was a horrific drafter like chris middleton i would say is, is the best player that dumars ever drafted like um okor was a good pick tayshaun prince was a good pick neither of them were great players uh drummond is not a great player but for the most part, uh, Dumars and Darko, of course, I mean, is, is one of the worst picks ever. Like, how do you fuck up when the other uh, the other four picks in the top five are all Hall of Famers? He was just a bad drafter. And then uh, Stan Van Gundy took over, and he was a bad drafter. <clears throat> so, um, so the Pistons traded this sort of just being in, in, in the low lottery every year for... Uh, just being a little bit better than that. And so now, and then just ended up with a, with a terrible cap sheet and a team that didn't work and very, very little in the way of good young talent. I mean, I'd say looking forward, only Saku is really likely to really contribute to this team in the long term. And, and you know, unless Bruce Brown learns to shoot and drive uh, or Kyrie Thomas turns into something special, which I think is unlikely, maybe we'll be a bench player. And maybe Christian Wood will be on the team for a while. But I think yeah. we can agree the only possible foundational player you have on the roster is uh, is is uh, Seku. Yeah, and that's I mean that's what I was getting at. Like the teams that have good front offices and make good decisions are the ones that kind of realize when something isn't working, and they get out in front of it rather than you know wait and see and and then maybe maybe it'll fix itself. No, I mean if we had traded Blake while he was at his peak value which I think we could have done despite that contract. I mean, maybe we would have an extra first rounder and maybe that would speed this rebuild along because one of the things that you need for this rebuild, for, for a rebuild to have a higher chance of being successful is you need to hoard as many assets as possible. And that's one area where the Pistons are kind of at a disadvantage is they really don't have any assets to trade away. I mean, they can maybe take on some bad money with assets assets attached, but other than that, I mean, they just need to make good picks. So it'll be a test for the front office for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Stefanski's picked Bruce Brown, Kyrie Thomas. I'm not even sure who else. And Seku. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's excuse me. It. Jordan Bone and David Asservitas. And then, of course, that fiasco <laughs> with the 30th overall pick, that was just bad. Somebody yeah. suggested it was there's a quid pro quo in order to bring Derrick Rose to Detroit because uh, Arntellum's son represents uh, 
at Davis or Vitas. Uh, who knows if that's true, but it was a mess. That wasn't that was botched horribly. Yeah, and, and that goes back to the fact that I mean, it seemed like they were trying to get under, stay under the luxury tax. I mean, they were playing that so closely. Well, and they would have had to not. They wouldn't have had space for Christian Wood. That's basically what it would have been. Right, uh, and that's part of the re- that's part of the reason that it's good that they finally have some flexibility. I mean, now you don't have to pass up on good players like Kevin Porter Jr., who just put thirty points up in a overtime win over the Heat. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's if you, you have, have one thing, spots he has and you have money, you can bring those guys in. Yeah, he has a comically bad defender. There is that, but yeah, that was dumb not to take a flyer on some better talent there. If not him, then uh, then who is it? Uh, Casey Paula. Yeah, or uh, like if they had gotten a number thirty and Kelton Johnson, who's who has not been good so far. But if Kelton Johnson has still been available, and if they hadn't taken him, I mean, I think I don't think they would have gone that far. That would have been peak insanity because. I got to think he was on their board in the mid teens. Like he, he really dropped, mm-hmm. but yeah, that, that, that made no sense. And that was, that was kind of like the ultimate win now in the draft thing without trading a draft pick. You're still, you want, like, I think they, they had the plan that they wanted to stat a guy whom they could stash. They came into a higher pick and they're like, uh, okay, what are we supposed to do now? Okay. Let's trade down and we'll take a guy with a, uh, who can be stashed and we'll take a guy with a two way contract and now problem solved. Right. So, yeah. And it's unfortunate because yeah. they had the 30th pick and those guys are guaranteed contracts. So, it's true. To, I mean, they had to trade down. It would have made more sense ultimately for them to just, I mean, Thon Maker, I mean, that's part of it. I mean, Thon Maker, it's like, sure, not a bad idea to take a, to take a flyer on a guy who everybody thought was going to be good talent, but ultimately would have been better off just trading Stanley Johnson for nothing. You know, I, I don't think the Bucks could have done that in terms of, uh, you know, that, that was all part of the Miritich trade. Um, yeah. <clears throat> But, you know, the Pistons just ended up uh, just in typical Pistons fashion, just botching this, basically just ending up in this position in the worst position at the worst possible time. Because uh, you end up in this position where you have to rebuild. You're very limited on young talent. You're in a very what is looking to be a very weak draft year. And if you, and they're also a team that's probably not going to be willing to punt the next two seasons. And if you want to take on those bad contracts in exchange for assets, they have to be contracts that last through uh, the season after next, because 2021 is the big free agent year. Teams aren't going to be trading out of bad contracts to get at this season's free agency class because it sucks. So, and I think this is an organization that's not going to be willing to punt two seasons. Now, I think what goes along with uh, a necessary quality of a team that does what needs to be done when it needs to be done, as you put it with the Hawks, for example, is ownership that's willing to play along. I mean, Hawks' ownership clearly didn't get in the way. Uh, the 76ers' ownership clearly didn't get in the way. Uh, with the Mavericks, I mean, Mark Cuban was entirely on board. I mean, don't get me wrong. Mark Cuban has made his share of screw-ups. Like, I'm not sure if, if – uh, I think a lot of people don't know this. I mean, they've been, they've been open about this, Mark Cuban – you know, makes no pretenses about this. Uh, in the what was this 2013 draft, I believe, whenever it was that Giannis went and the Pistons drafted KCP. Uh, Nelson, who's the, uh, Donnie Nelson, the GM of the Mavericks, went to Mark Cuban. He said, this guy Giannis is the future. He's going to be great. This is really the guy. We got to draft him. And Mark Cuban said, no, I want to trade down so we'll have more cap space to offer Dwight Howard. And, you know, hmm. like, like, yeah, like $200,000. And uh, it was, it was something small. Like some small amount of cap space, and in retrospect, I mean, I think, 
whatever the case, this, this was, it was never going to sway Howard. I'm like $500,000 a year. I think it was $250,000 a year uh, in his, in his first year or thereafter as well, whatever it would have been, maybe totals like, you know, with salary increases, maybe totals like uh, less than a million and a half. <clears throat> and uh, so they missed out on Giannis as a result. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Mark Cuban also came out later and said, oh yeah, we're deliberately trying to lose games. He got fined yep. for it. Of course. Yeah. What was it, like half a million or something like that? I don't know. He's the most fine owner in the history of the NBA. And I don't know. I don't remember if it's the history of sports. I don't remember the history of major American sports. I don't remember. Whatever the case, if you look at the teams that have been the least successful <clears throat> over the last decade, uh, they are the teams uh, that have what are widely believed to be the worst owners in the league. The Knicks with James Dolan, the Kings with Viver Granadive, the Suns with Sarver, uh, the Hornets with Jordan, and the Pistons with Tom Gores. Those are your least successful teams. I, I get the feeling I'm missing somebody, but I cannot remember who it is. Uh, Minnesota has a really not so great owner either. Oh, right, the Bulls. Uh, their <laughs> owner who continues to employ Garpax. So, <clears throat> you know, that that can easily gut your team, having a bad owner. can easily yeah. gut your team. Having a good owner can be a massive boon to your team. A guy who uh, who hires the right personnel and stays out of their way. Look at Boston for an excellent example of that. So, yeah, you hire Danny Ainge, you hire Brad Stevens, and you stay the hell out of their way. <clears throat> Done. Then you have a successful team. Of course, things didn't go exactly as planned, but nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, Danny Ainge is probably one of the best executives, but that's that's another thing. I, I mean, I feel like they really might commit to this. I, I'm optimistic which I know I haven't been for the last couple of years, but I really do think they'll see this through for at least a couple of years. I think uh, uh, Stefanski mentioned, you know, they were going to consider a lot of different options with uh, this new cap space. And he said uh, they might take on bad money and with assets attached. And I hope that's the route that they take. Uh, they're not going to have a ton of cap space probably once they have to, once they actually resign the seven or maybe not not re-sign but they have to sign like seven other guys to fill out the roster after the season but that's mm -hmm. what i hope they do with that money i mean yeah they have a lot of it tied up in blake griffin but uh you know it's it's better than nothing you know th there's there are much better ways to go about rebuilding and uh starting with with more assets than just your own first rounders because i don't think the pistons even have their second rounders but it's not the worst thing. You know, hopefully they make some good picks. I think Bruce and Kyrie in the second round, those are fine picks. Uh, Sekou Dumboya at 15 seems like it'll be another good pick. Uh, I I'm perfectly fine with what Stefanski's done to this point now that uh, it seems like they're really going to rebuild. And if they do three years and they make two good picks, I'll be more than happy because – the NBA has, like, some semblance of parity now. I mean, this is, like, the first year in, like, two or three years where it doesn't seem like, you know, there's, like, a clear-cut winner or clear-cut champion. Uh, no, I think it's great. Favorite. Yeah, I mean, I think you yeah. only have you only have three, maximum four teams who can conceivably win a championship. Yeah. But that's uh, two, maybe three more than you had a year ago. I mean, let's be honest. The Raptors would not have won that championship if Golden State had been healthy. Right. So. But that's the thing. I mean, these teams... I mean, the Bucks have Giannis, and who would their next best player even be? 
Middleton. And then Middleton's a good the, player. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Lakers with LeBron and AD, and then the Clippers with PG and Kawhi. There's no like four superstars or four stars team anymore. So it's not even a, not even a three star team anymore. Yeah, and it's great because the the amount of talent that you need to become a contender is a lot lower now. It's a lot more attainable. So now seems like a good time, uh, as any, I guess, to distance ourselves from the past and the mistakes that we made learn from them and hopefully Stefanski and company can make the right picks and make all the right decisions moving forward, or at least enough that uh, we can take this team past the 500 mark that, you know, we never really hoped we could get past. Well, or or we can go a different route, you know, like Stan Van Gundy, when he traded for Blake Griffin said, we're just going to build differently. We're just going to buck the trend. The Pistons can sign five traditional centers to, to, you know, to put up the starting lineup and then they'll be completely unstoppable inside. Right. Would that work? Yeah, sure. That would work. Definitely. Just have all five of them just hang out in the paint. Right. Big ball. Big ball. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, I brought this up uh, and, uh, you know, I digress here, of course, but the interview he gave after the Blake Trapers, he he admitted that the Pistons no longer have perimeter shooting and said, well, we're going to make the rest of the league come to us, which I think I've, I've likened to, somebody who can't win races in NASCAR saying, well, we're going to start, we're going to ditch our Formula One, or maybe I'm just completely butchering Formula One and NASCAR, the same thing, but we're going to ditch our super fast race car and we're going to race in a super Outback and we're going to make other teams come to us. It's like, no, you're just going to lose your fucking races. (laughs) It's like, you're not going to win anything. (laughs) Um, And uh yeah, of course, I, I, I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think that was just the, the unbelievably irresponsible act of, of a guy who just was going to do anything to save his job. But whatever the case, just brings back us back to what we said before about poor fitting rosters. And uh, I know I'm going way off track here, but uh, I, I've got to say that I think even if this season's roster had been healthy, it would not have been particularly good. And I think we saw a little bit of that poor fit when Griffin came back and suddenly things just weren't working all the things got worse, not only because he was playing poorly, just because he didn't fit a system that was passing the ball a lot more and shooting it from the perimeter a lot more and so on and so forth. But uh, I think we can just say we're glad that that mess is behind us now, even if the future may take a little bit, of, a little while to come together. But I could get excited Absolutely. about Anthony Edwards, certainly. I can get excited about a lot of these guys, man. I'm I'm looking into these guys. I'm watching their highlights. It's it's exciting for me. And I'm sure we'll yeah. we'll get a chance to talk about that. Yeah, it just bums me out that the draft lottery is still like th- four months away. Yeah. Uh, something like that, three and a half months. So anyway, that'll be it for today's episode. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next time.